I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very happy that I get to talk to you in front of all these people here. Um, I just saw a, a, another interview of yours lately yeah. where you talked about <clears throat> playing with Charles Mingus yeah. made you a better person and uh, a stronger person. Stronger. <laughs> I don't know if better, but stronger for sure. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, well, uh, Mingus uh, was a very, uh, very talented musician, of course, and a great bass player, great composer. Uh, but he was a complicated personality. He um, he was multi-dimensional, I will say, and he had a lot of moving parts. He could be uh, very confrontational, volatile, but very tender and loving also. So, and um, this kind of uh, complicated personality quite often is those combinations make great artists, actually. Uh, people who are feeling. They are emotional and intellectual. And um, there's a sensitivity that usually they have. Uh, and all that mixed up ends up being probably the DNA of what great artists usually are. They are complicated people. You know, Uh, quite often, and uh, Mingus was definitely that. And uh, he was a great musician. So I, when I first joined Mingus's band, I was um, about 20 years old. And he was in his early 40s, and he was huge. He was big. He weighed like 300 pounds. And uh, he was very strong, and he had a reputation for being confrontational. And so I was like this. I was very nervous. Um, but I, after playing with him for many years, I saw all sides of him. I saw the, the toughness, but I also saw the heart also. So I became comfortable with him as I got older. And as I understood more about life, people. I got more comfortable with Mingus and I could appreciate him more. Mm. Um, what do you think he expected of you? He? He, yeah, Charles uh, Mingus. What well, did he expect he expected you? for you to give 110% of yourself. Uh, he wanted you to be an individual and to express your own personality. But he was uh, very um, insistent that you, you do it with gusto, you know, and that you played from your heart. 
how did he verbalize that like actual suggestions on how to play how to approach the music well he had a very uh, interesting uh, concept about that as we I think no I was talking to Dennis about that so Mingus is the way he thought that you were supposed to behave musically was this kind of a, a mixed a mixed kind of thing because he um, if we were too pristine or too clean or too processed he didn't like that uh, but but to be disorganized too much so he did not like that either so really he used to use a term that's kind of a dichotomy. He would say he liked organized chaos, which can be a contradiction in terms, maybe. But that's what he liked, organized chaos. So he sat on this aesthetic fence uh, between those two ways of thinking and very interesting now when I was younger and just started working with him I did not understand the contradiction but as I got older I understood what he meant and basically he what he meant was also I think it might have been Schoenberg that said pretty much, I think it was Schoenberg, that said pretty much the same thing that Mingus is saying, that written music should sound improvised and improvised music should sound written. So there it is. But how do you do that? How do you do it? Um, I think you do it by the awareness consciously and subconsciously that the main motivation for music and art is the power of the emotions, the human condition being expressed and the emotionality of a human being is foremost more important than anything else and craft physical craft takes the second seat but the emotions and being able to express them from here as a human being uh, is very important and you're supposed to have the craft and the physical artistry to bring that about. So it's a perfect balance between left brain and right brain, between intellect and heart. So when you have inspiration and technique holding hands, you have great art. Thank you for that. How did you guys work on the music? 
How how did you bring in charts, or did you yeah, teach he had, you the uh, music? He had charts. Um, he did have charts, which were very hard and difficult. Why? As you heard, Dennis, some of those, some of that, some real tricky, tricky, tricky music. So he had, uh, he did have charts, and he had things written out. But sometimes he would show us the parts uh, with him playing the piano. And we would have to listen, and we'd have to get it. He would play something on the piano, and play that. Really? Okay. So you try, and pretty soon your ears got better, and you, you, you would do it. But then after he had the parts worked out here, and he had shown us the parts for alto, trombone, tenor, whatever, then he would write it out after he has heard it. So sometimes he would do it that way, and sometimes he would already have the charts because it would be music he wrote years ago. Is so both. Is there a special uh, go-to memory that you always go back to from the rehearsal process of certain songs? No. You know, <laughs> when I was much younger, I was very, very good at... Um, Remembering and doing that stuff, pretty good. But now, <laughs> um, a lot of that I don't remember anymore. Uh, um, but it's like riding a bicycle, you know. Uh, you never really forget. But, um, yeah, so if I go back and kind of refresh my memory, I'm okay. But that's been so long ago. Um, that it all becomes one big moment. Hey there. Thanks for checking out the podcast. If you enjoy these conversations, please consider joining me on patreon.com slash pabloheld for more educational videos, lead sheets, early access to episodes, online hangouts, music recommendations, bandcamp discount, and more behind-the-scenes stuff from the podcast. The generous support of my patrons helps me to pay for the running costs of this podcast and it helps me to keep it going into the future. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So today I was listening to uh, a recording of you playing with uh, Charles Mingus, playing the song MDM, Monk, Duke and Me. Mingus. Oh, Mingus. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mingus, of course. <laughs> And uh, you were playing a blues, and I mean, it's a blues, and you were playing first, and then uh, Eric Dolphy Eric, was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because both you and Eric were so influenced by Charlie Parker, but oh, yeah. both of you guys took it in different, different directions. Yeah. So I want to get into the topic of dealing with influences. Yeah. Well, Charlie Parker was the influence for everybody. Uh, when he first emerged in the early 40s, uh, he just influenced everybody. So basically, modern music since Charlie Parker um, has, you know, he is kind of the beginning of all of that in a way. And so it's hard to escape the influence of Charlie Parker because people are playing some aspect of Charlie Parker 
even if they don't know they are, because they learned how to play from someone else who did. So he's, Charlie Parker's like Bach. There are certain people that come, or like, yeah, that come, that's only a few hundred years that they come, and they come so complete uh, as an artist that they are very influential. And Charlie Parker said, so basically any development in jazz that has happened in the next 50, in the, the last 50, 60 years has come by way of Charlie Parker because his influence was so strong. And so what people have done is that they've taken his way of doing and thinking rhythmically and that they have found their own way, you know. Uh, just like with Bach, people can write contrapuntally uh, their own notes and their own feelings and soul. But some kind of way, there's a little bit of Bach in that. And you cannot escape it because it is and because it's good. And that's the way Bird was. So you got you got many people who have come and innovated certain things, but for sure the common denominator, some kind of way, is Charlie Parker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, uh, how did you find your way? Well, when I first heard Charlie Parker, I was about uh, let me see, 14 years old. And I knew nothing about harmony. I knew nothing about chord changes. I didn't know anything about that. I did know my scales. I knew all the major scales, all the minor scales. I knew that, but I, I didn't know anything about um, the cycle of fifths and the you know, root movement and just, I didn't know anything about that. I had no idea. And I had heard other players before, great players, jazz players. Um, And then a young, a young guy, a little my age, told me about Charlie Parker. And so one day I'm in this candy store. And uh, in those days we had jute boxes, and you put your coins in the jute box. And I saw Charlie Parker, and I, I thought, oh, here's this Charlie Parker guy that my friend was telling me about. And so I put the money in, and when I heard that, immediately... It resonated because it was like, who, 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 who is he? What, you know, what it, you know, and that was it. And as I think about it now, the thing that, um, that really got my attention was his linear sense of logic. And I had never heard that before. And what I mean by that is it's just... It's this linear sense of melodic logic, even though he's playing a lot of notes, but they all are making sense, and they are connecting up with another musical sentence uh, that's long and eloquent, and it's making perfect sense. So it's not just random or a lot of notes. 
there's a, a, a linear logic to them melodically. And I could hear that as a kid. Uh, I would never have used a term like linear logic because I didn't know what that meant. But I did know what logic meant. And when I heard that, that's the thing that got my attention because I hadn't heard that from other players. I had heard virtuosity. I had heard people that played instruments really well that did play a lot of notes. But I didn't hear that rhythmic, logical um, configurations or the melodic logic that, that was involved. And that got me, and it got everybody that heard Charlie Parker in those days. Everybody thought the same thing I did. When they heard him on the radio, everybody said, who is that? What's that man's name? Wh who's he playing with? So he had the same effect on everybody. And basically, that's why Charlie Parker is still great, because he had the perfect combination of head and heart and inspiration and technique and logic he had all that and at a very very young age which is very rare you know. let's talk about now we, we talked about what um, <clears throat> you thought charles mingus was expecting of you what do you expect from musicians because now you're going to play with uh, musicians from the local scene here. What do you expect from fellow musicians when you go on stage with them? Well, I'm not like Charlie Mingus. <laughs> so basically, but I am like, I, I, here's for me, all I would want from other musicians is for them um, to be empathetic um, and to be open, to be open and, uh, and to mean what they say, to really mean it. And, and, to, and that doesn't mean being loud. Uh, it just means that they emotionally believe in what they're doing for the moment, every moment. And for me, I, I, that's what I, I want to do. And it's not that easy because yeah. you, 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 can't, uh, you can't have distractions. You, you must be, a, it's a certain kind of concentration uh, that you, it's kind of like these alpha waves where you get in the zone here and blot out everything else and just try to get in the um, receptive mental mood to receive. Because great playing is not an act of doing, it's an act of non-doing. Explain that, please. <laughs> Say that again. Please explain. Please explain of not doing. Oh, no, How oh do not you mean doing it? and non doing. Here we go again. <laughs> well, there's the dichotomy. So, oh boy. See, sometimes words are in the three dimensional realm, and uh, sometimes words are try to be used 
to describe something that's not in time and space and the three-dimensional reality that we know about. Because sometimes what we try to describe has nothing to do with physicality and carbon-based reality. It's in another realm that has nothing to do with any of that. But our language is based on that. So we try to, so trying to describe that is, um, it's kind of like what I said earlier. It's like, uh, it's the perfect combination of intellect and heart. Uh, there's a certain amount of analytical technique that you must have and be aware of. But then the part of yourself th that uses the data that's in here, uh, to way to get that out has nothing to do with the analytical process. It's got something to do with letting it happen. And that's what I mean by non-doing. It's a certain mental attitude that you have in order to get the best out of you. And it comes from a very relaxed state of mind that's not based on trying to prove anything. Uh, it can't be saddled with narcissism. Uh, because music is about, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a humble thing. It's not an act of war and aggression. It's really um, a receptive attitude mentally that you must have that does the best job of using the information that you got analytically. Thank you.